the Own Your Intuitive podcast is for the creatives, spiritual entrepreneurs, and light workers in the world. The shining ones who have been told to dim their light and stop believing in magic. I say screw that. The time to rise is now to bring your gifts out into the world in a big way, creating a business that feeds your soul and your bank account. You are a magical being with the potential to change the world, one human at a time. The time for you to own your intuitive is now. All right, magical humans. Today I have somebody who's going to absolutely blow your mind on the podcast today. What's really cool is that I met this this human in a group that we are shared connected with. And, you know, I put in that it's ex- it is an exceptional pool. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> and I mentioned that I had this podcast and, you know, right away she raised her hand and then I creeped her, you guys. I creeped her like I used to creep in people's like drawers at their houses. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. And what I found out was that you, Jory, are are like a, what is this that I want to say? A guide of transformation in a huge way. And what Mm. you lead people through and with, I was like, man, this, this human needs to share her message and her light on the Own Your Intuitive podcast. So thank you, Jory Rose, for coming on today. Thank you for creeping me out so much. <laughs> and I say that in the most loving way possible. <laughs> I think I even said it to you right away in Messenger, and then you didn't answer me right back. And I know. Away, and I was like, oh, I scared Jory. <laughs> no, no, no. It takes, uh, it, it would be really hard to scare me. So there's no such thing. It's more of a function of a little overwhelm and busyness and, you know, managing all that is arising with as much presence and grace and humor as I try to figure all this out as I do guide others. You know, I'm constantly doing the work myself. So speaking of that, because I know what I creeped and saw you doing and, you know, how you support and help and transform lives. But everybody who's tuning in is probably like, wow, Tamara always starts these podcasts with like these highlights of people, but we don't know what they do. So can you share a little bit more insight into them? Yes. So my, my day job, what I do is I'm a marriage family therapist. I've got a private practice that is thriving and I love it. And outside of that, I am building an online business. I also have a podcast, which I was so happy to have you on recently, um, which is the Journey Forward with Jory Rose podcast. And I lead retreats both for women and for couples. And I'm starting to launch in 2020 an online subscription program for those who are ready to journey forward. So, like, that's what I do, right? But is that all? I am, like, is that all? Like that? And you're more. I've written you know? some. I've written some books. I've done some media. I just had recently had my first TV segment when in Los Angeles, which was super exciting to be on live TV. Talk about putting my tools into practice. That was definitely an opportunity. Um, but aside from all the stuff that I do, I'm really here to help people what I call journey forward. And to me, that means getting unstuck from whatever's not working in your life, whether it's mindsets, habits, patterns, people, um, wherever you're at in your life, and to realize there is a way out. There's a journey forward, and it's always possible. And so much of what I love about what I teach 
is I actually do all this shit myself. <laughs> um, you know, we all do values work. Well, I, I would like to think a lot of entrepreneurs do values work to really get an alignment of who am I in my business? Who do I want to portray? And I live by my highest value, which is authenticity. Mm -hmm. So everything I teach, I actually do because it would feel really inauthentic for me to guide someone in something and just to say, oh yeah, this sounds like a really good practice. You should try this. Mm -hmm. so I actually do all this stuff. And so I've had an amazing journey forward over the past really probably 10 years, more specifically the past five or six years. So I'm really, really passionate about guiding people through this process because it's possible, right? That growth and that change and that entering into the dark side is possible. And not only is it possible, awesomeness is on the other side of it. I have to ask a question because I'm curious and I'm fine yes. to hear some listeners curious, but like you kind of dropped a lot of things there, you know, full-time job, side hustle, like, you know, retreat, like all of these feel like they take up a lot of time, Jory. Like, is this? They do. They do. So you're <laughs> kind of like your full spectrum, like morning, evening, because of your passion? Or and an almost full-time single mom of two teenage daughters. So I didn't throw that part in. <laughs> yeah. Busy. Yeah. Do you have downtime? Yes, I do. And, you know, the focus of my work at the root of it is mindfulness practice. Right. And I never used to know what that really meant in terms of I lived my life like so many of us do completely on autopilot. And the, the forward momentum in which I propelled myself was fast. And I was always racing to what was next, what was next, what was next, either like legitimately through my day, but just in my life, that's kind of how I ended up where I was because I just went to what was next, what was next, what was next. And when I discovered mindfulness practice, or as I say, it really discovered me and I learned how to slow down and be present with whatever I was doing. It changed everything because I was actually, it was counterintuitive that by slowing down, I got more done. And by slowing down and actually being mindful and being present, didn't make me stress about all the stuff on my to-do list because that was never going to go away. So it was my relationship to my to-do list that was able to shift. And because of that, I created space for downtime. Do you schedule it in? Sometimes, yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, I definitely put on my calendar time to write, which for me feels like downtime because that's my creative content that I don't necessarily look at as work. Right. Um, I definitely schedule the gym and yoga. So for me, that's downtime. And then, you know, I'm a mom first. So my kids are my priority. So my time with my kids, you know, that's super, super high quality time to me. And it's partly why I wanted to become a therapist because at the time when I was younger, I felt like that was a profession that I could really build around my lifestyle as being a mom to create the space for what I really wanted and needed to do, which was be with my daughters. Okay. Let's go there. Um, cause you just dropped it in. Did you yes. always know, like when you were a kid, you knew that you, like you were foreshadowing that you wanted to be a therapist at that young age? I knew, I think probably since high school. Yeah. 
I knew one of my highest values at the time was going to be being a mom. And I was raised by a mom who was um, always home. And I valued the fact that she was always home with me. So I knew that being a stay-at-home mom was going to have to be something I could build into a career. And I was always fascinated by relationships. And my ex-husband and I were together since I was 13 years old. Oh my goodness. And we never once broke up. We started dating when I was 13, went to separate high schools, even separate colleges. I graduated college a year early to catch up to him. And I think I might've been literally the only person at University of California at Santa Barbara who went to one party my entire college career. And that's like a party school. And then I even graduated within three years. Like I was motivated to get out to be with him. And so couples and relationships always fascinated me from a really young age. And I always knew I wanted to study that more. And even though we ended up getting divorced when I was 36, it was still a successful relationship for a long time. And so I always knew I just, I was just fascinated by it and what people fascinated me. Okay, I have to ask what was so fascinating about why did some people work and some people not what drew people together, um, patterns in relationship, how people dealt with conflict, how people dealt with adversity. Um, when I was getting my master's degree, I started a master's thesis, which I never ended up doing because my school was wanting the students to take an exam rather than a thesis because it was easier on the professors. So I had gotten pretty far into my thesis process, even though I didn't complete it. But what it was about was how people separate from their family of origin and create a new family of procreation. So in whatever dynamic, like what are the traditions, the ways that in which we grew up, that when we now partner and marry or not marry, but maybe just cohabitate, how do we develop our own new culture as a family? So there's a lot of negotiation there. And many people don't do that with awareness. And then they wonder why they still argue at the holidays of my way versus your way, or, you know, they, they don't know how to make room for new and um, so, yeah, I was always fascinated. Now I'm fascinated. Um, so would you say then that the key to all of this is the communication between the two people in the, in the relationship? Um, at the time when I was in my early 20s, I would have said, sure, yeah, that's important. Now that I am divorced and now that as a therapist, I work with couples and since my divorce, I found the love of my life, who's also in the mental health field as well. And he and I are building a, a new brand together called The Ultimate Relationships. See, all these years later, I'm still fascinated by relationships. And now John and I are building a whole brand on guiding couples through this. So that's added into my to-do list every day is now working on that new project. Um, but I don't actually think communication is the most important thing anymore. I think the number one most important thing that makes couples work or not work is, well, I'll, I'll reframe the question. I always get asked the question, how do I know if my relationship is worth saving? I'm going to kind of go there first because I'm going to do a kind of reverse engineering of it. The number one answer I give to people on whether or not their relationship is worth saving is, does someone have a growth mindset or not? Because you can have great communication skills 
-hmm. You can have great intimacy. You can have great ability to connect in a physical and sexual way. But if one of you is growth-minded oriented and the other one isn't, that relationship's going to be really hard to navigate as it keeps going. For those who are listening who are confused what a growth mindset is, will you give us a definition of that? Because some people are probably like, grow tall, grow what, growing, what am I growing? Yeah, it's the idea that growth and forward momentum is natural part of life, that growth and change is normal. And to have a growth mindset is to be open to change, to be open to learning, to be open to expanding yourself as a human, whether it's through new experiences, new opportunities. And having the fixed mindset is basically the mentality of saying, this is who I am. This is who and what is what I am, and I don't. Why do I need to change? And you know, it's it's really fascinating. There's a lot of research coming out right now in couples work. Women are the drivers of almost seventy five percent of divorce. Whoa, that just gave me like shivers. Yeah. Wow. Women are the ones who are driving divorce, and women are the ones who are saying in relationship they want their men to be more. They want to be more communicative, more aware, more affectionate, more open, you know, whatever it is. And men aren't unhappy in their relationships. The men are unhappy because their women are unhappy with them. And if you look at the history of marriage and you look at the trajectory of masculine and feminine growth over like the past, let's just say, 75 years, Women have had huge growth trajectory and men's roles in masculinity hasn't evolved in the same way that women's has. And so this becomes a really big challenge in relationship because women are expecting more from their men than ever before because women have grown in so many ways within the workforce, within what we, you know, even just the onset of the pill, right? I mean, we mm-hmm. really are self-sufficient more than we've ever been. True. And so in order for a partnership to work requires the man to recognize that they need to grow also. I think this and is that, a huge conversation. This is a powerful conversation. This is a huge, huge conversation. And it's so much easier said than done because what we're asking men to do is to do something they have no role model for that also flies in the face of masculinity right? It's adopting some more feminine qualities of being more open, more vulnerable, more communicative, more in touch with their emotions, more aware, all of these things that are tend to be named feminine. Mm-hmm. And masculinity is often defined by just not being feminine. True. And I mean, there, there's so many layers to this, right? There's you know, how boys are socialized and how girls are socialized. And the fact that any relationship works out at all, to me, is just (laughs) truly fascinating. You know, so to be able to be in conflict in relationship and have the ability to say we're in conflict and I'm willing to look for new ways to deal with this conflict, that's being growth oriented. That's having a growth mindset. But I mean, even the first phase of that is getting in contact with someone like you, right? Like if, if the relationship is in a uncomfortable state where one person is unhappy and the next, maybe the other person is like, what, you're unhappy? How can you be unhappy? I feel perfectly fine in our relationship. Right. And then one person says, well, I think we should see somebody. There's that moment or that precipice of change 
right? right. Where they're going to either lean in or one person's going to say, I'm not going to do this. And, you know, I have very, I, I've never been someone to badmouth my ex. He's not, he's a great person. He's not a bad guy at all, but he's someone who's not growth minded. And he would be the first to say that, like, this is not me talking bad. This is him really saying, I don't need to change. And so, you know, in, when I was going through the end of my marriage and I was saying all these things that I needed and all these things that I wanted and all the things that I thought was kind of healthy to ask for, his response was, this is me, just love me for me. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a very typical response for many men. And I'm not bashing men. I'm just saying, this is how men are socialized. This is me. Love me for who I am. I'm a good provider. Isn't that enough? Yes. And I still need more. And so, yeah, there is that moment that takes a lot of courage to say, yes, and I still need more. So what do we do with this? Right? Yeah. And I have so many questions. This is like such a juicy conversation because I know so many women and men who are going through it right now. So when you yes. know, you're, you're asking as a, in a relationship or in a coupleship or, or in a partnership, you know, I want to do more. I want to be more. I want to expand more. I mean, that's mm -hmm. a limitless thing that you're asking, right? Like when mm -hmm. people are coming in, are they saying, I just want to be able to go and to events with you? Are they saying, I want to, you know, look at increasing our finances? is launching a business together like is this the level of growth and expansion that they're looking for I think it's sometimes even so much smaller honestly I have some clients some women who will say it would just mean the world to me if my husband planned a date night for me all I want is for him to plan a date night and then when they come in during the couple session and she says all I want is for you to plan a date night he says yeah I picked a night and then I asked you where you wanted to go. Mm. And she just like her face drops. She's like, no, you don't get it. Because to her, by him choosing a restaurant gives her an indication. You've thought about it. You put time and energy into this. You picked a place that you know I would like. And that's a sign of, you know me, you understand me and you care for me. And you heard like you're listening. And you're, and you're hearing me. And I mean, it's these little, little things. And there's a great couples therapist named Terry Real. And he says that marriage is death by a thousand paper cuts. Mm. It's the little things. And so if we don't have the ability to understand when someone says, all I want is just for you to plan a date night, that's actually a huge thing. It's not the affairs and the financial challenges that are causing divorce. These contribute right? But it's all these little things that give us our ability to say, are we stepping toward the relationship or are we turning away from it? And it's subtle, but powerful, the ways in which we're not honoring our partners, what's called bid for attention, right? right. When they're putting their some themselves out there and it's just being fallen flat. Like I can't tell you so many times in my marriage, I would go and share something that I was really excited about. And I just felt like there was a needle being popped in my balloon. Mm. And I just would feel deflated because we want our partners to share in that excitement, right? We want our partners to capitalize on our good news or our positive energy before the, yeah, so how much is that going to cost? Or what's the logistics, right? Like just for a moment, just sharing my joy. So I feel like you see me. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, I've been with John now almost four years and my ex has said to me at least a half a dozen times, 
I'm so happy you found him because he's exactly what you said you always needed and wanted. And that's just not who I was. So, I mean, what an amazing gift that my ex has given me by validating my current relationship to say, yeah, you wanted me to grow and change. I didn't want to. You wanted me to be like this. That's not who I naturally am or I'm inclined to be. And I'm so happy for you that you found a partner who's willing to go there with you. I love that. And I'm going to go back to your ex a little bit here and not to him specifically, but like you were in this marriage from 13 to To 36, right? And there did come a point where you started to notice the discomfort, right? Mm -hmm. That, you know, especially in the line of work that you were doing, right? And it must have been interesting to be a therapist for, you know, relationships and marriage and then you know, be going through this yourself, how long, cause I know that this is always a question that I tend to ask, like, yes. you know, how long from the time you realized that things weren't working till you made the commitment to yourself to step forward in your version of what you wanted? How long? The, the short answer is about five years. The long answer is probably closer to 15 or 16 years. So before I got married, I had asked myself the question, am I here because I want to be or because I'm afraid not to be? Because mm. we had never dated anyone else. We were together since the time we were kids. And he's a great guy. But something was always kind of missing. But it, I had so much safety and security in the relationship that – it was worth not exploring outside because I was so safe and secure in so many ways. And that was a higher value for me at the time. And so that question I remember asking before we ever even got engaged. So maybe when I was 21, 22, the answer was always, I was afraid not to be there. And it wasn't until my early thirties after my second daughter was born And, you know, I was on that trajectory of living for what was next, right? So here I was, and I got married at 24, had my first daughter at 25. We had just bought a house. Second daughter came along when I was 28. And it was like, okay, now what? What's next? I've got the kids. I got the two girls that I always wanted. We got the beautiful house. We go on three vacations a year. Great, what's next? And then it was like, this is it. This is my life. I have no what's next. And I thought everyone I knew was going to be who I was going to know forever because why would my social circle ever really expand beyond new parents at my kid's school? Right. And I started to realize, I don't know who I am outside this relationship. I had no idea of my individuality outside of our names being like one word and outside my role as mom. And at that time, I'd already had my master's degree, but I wasn't licensed. And so I wasn't working. And I was a stay-at-home mom because my kids were still young. So I really sat with this question, who am I outside this relationship? Which is also a question I know a lot of women ask. Like, we live these roles. Who am I outside of my role? And that was the first time I really had to get still. And I really learned to slow down and get out of my head and into my body because I knew all my thoughts were 
overly justified, right? Everything I believed I could make sense of, but something in my body wasn't feeling right. And so I had to slow down to actually lean into what I was feeling in my body and then learn to trust it. And it took me about five years for the message from my gut and my heart to get up to my head to say, this is the logical choice. Because I knew it in my body. I couldn't justify it in my head because everything in my life was checked off and everything was exactly as I crafted it to be. It was the perfect life. And yet I wasn't fulfilled. Right. And I mean, I have friends who have, you know, divorced and who have, and especially because you did, there was no real animosity between you and your husband. There was nothing that he was doing that was negative or bad or, you know, or vice versa. No, right? like we like, had, we went through our divorce and our mediator, our lawyer was like, people like you guys don't sit across people like me. We would walk into that office holding hands we never once argued. In fact, even since our divorce, we've gone on three post-divorce vacations as a family. Like there's no animosity, one of which was even this past summer. Even though I'm in another relationship, our daughter had her bat mitzvah in Israel and we were in Israel for 12 days and in Italy for a couple of days. And it's never been about, I hate this person. It's about, you know what? Our paths are now going in different directions and we can see why it's not working. And there's no reason, you know, that's not to say there wasn't anger along the way. Right. I'm not saying it was perfect and easy, but when you recognize that something's not right, that you need to create shift around, there's a choice in how you manage it, right? How you respond to the challenge is always a choice. And I, I think we've done it as beautifully as one could possibly do. But I just think that, and you can correct me if I'm wrong because you're in the profession, but I'm like, it must be harder for a relationship to end when it, there's no real, other than we're not like the growth mindset, but at the time you don't know that that's the problem. You're like, this person is great to me. They're not hurting me. They're great to the kids. They're do you know what I mean? And we're super disconnected. And we're super disconnected. And there's, and, and there's no intimacy and it's surface level. It was easy. There was a favorite quote that um, by a nine men, and it says, I must be a mermaid. I have no fear of great depths, but I have great fear of shallow living. And that's, that's what it was like for me because it was hard to coexist in the depth in myself that I discovered in which I was mm -hmm. to then have to rise back up to the surface level in which the rest of my life was. And it got to the point where I could no longer tolerate going from who I was inside, which was that depth, back up to the surface. That's powerful. It's mm -hmm. a really big thing for people to hear. And when you got silent, Jory, and you were going into your body, what were you doing? Like, what were those practices? How were you connecting? I learned how to meditate. And I was practicing mindfulness and I had gone on a lot of mindfulness retreats and I even did a five day silent Buddhist meditation retreat. And I really started seeking out like-minded people who could speak the same language as me, who could understand where I was at and what I was going through. But even as I started meditation, it took a long time for me to actually understand meditation 
And this is one of the reasons why I love teaching meditation because I think it's a really esoteric practice. And I think people come to it with a lot of assumptions and judgments and misconceptions and preconceptions, so much so that it prevents them from engaging with this beautiful tool that's offered to us. So when I really, when I first started, I started to meditate while I was driving. And what that looked like was when I was in my car without my kids, I would turn off the music and I would put down the phone and I would just be aware of my surroundings and I'd breathe. And if I was stuck in traffic, I wouldn't judge the traffic. I wouldn't judge myself if I was late that caused part of the traffic or not the traffic, but caused me being late to be in the traffic. And I just, I really use that time in my car as a gift of I'm alone right now. No one's asking anything of me. I can, don't have to be anywhere other than exactly where I am. And I breathe. I consciously breathed in and I consciously exhaled out. And in that beginning, I realized I never exhaled. Mm. I was always bringing a lot in, but I was not letting a lot go. And I'll never forget early on in my relationship with John, I love physical touch, hand on my shoulder, neck massage. I, I, just, I love being held. I love being touched. And I'll never forget, I was standing behind the couch one, one night, and I don't know if the kids were on the couch or what TV was on, and he walked up behind me and he put his arms on my shoulders. And as he touched me, I exhaled. And he said to me, do you realize every time I put my hands on you, you exhale? And I said, no, I had no idea. He goes, you do. And I paid attention to it. And he has been part of my exhale. Because I think in that momentum of my life, I wasn't knowing how to exhale out. I wasn't knowing how to let go. And so that's how I started. And then once I was like, wow, I'm actually arriving where I'm going, feeling more peaceful and feeling not so harried in my mind and feeling calmer and more present. Let me try this on an actual cushion. And so I actually then created the space in the mornings to sit on a meditation cushion and I started really, really small. Again, going counter to what I was taught because all the meditation teachers at the time were saying, no, you need to practice 20 to 40 minutes a day. And I'm like, yeah, that's bullshit. I don't, I don't have that kind of time. And if I did, I'm likely not going to put it towards a meditation. I can guarantee you that. So I had to learn how to meet myself where I was at and just breathe. And everything began to change. In fact, you know, I often used to say to my clients, if you learn nothing else from me, it's take a minute and just breathe. That's almost enough. It is because within that breath, you're slowing down. You're creating space between you and whatever you're dealing with. And in that space, by that breath, you're calming your brain, you're calming your body, and you're getting intentional about how do I want to respond to what's happening versus the autopilot reaction, which generally is not super skillful. No. And I mean, it's so helpful. And I love that you're talking about it from this perspective too. Like even today, somebody messaged me and it caused me to have um, an an anxious moment. Like, why are they calling me? What do they want? Because they're like, it's really important. You need to call me back. And that's always like gives that created, you know, fight or flight sensation in the body. And so that's what I did, right? I put the phone down and I just like relaxed my shoulders, took a moment, came back to my body, came back to my breath. Of course, I 
take it to the level of, uh, you know, I release any and all things from being within me so that when I call this person back, I can be the perfect channel for what it is that they're here to receive. Da, 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 da. And then I yes. get the phone and called them. Yeah. Because that really does. Now from the level of there, you're there, you're just starting to do these little snippets and pockets. Did you ever do guided meditations? Um, at the time, no. I mean, when I would, I, I enjoyed being on retreats where I, where I was having it being guided. Um, and I prefer guided meditations. But at the time when I started years ago, there were no apps accessible like there are now. True. So um, I really just developed the own words I needed to say in my own mind to help me get to where I needed to be, which was Breathing in, I know I'm breathing in. Breathing out, I know I'm breathing out. Um, I started doing a loving kindness practice daily, which was um, started off with the traditional loving kindness practice words of, may I be healthy and strong, may I be happy, may I be peaceful. And one day I realized those aren't the words I actually need to hear. And so I'm like, okay, well, what do I really need that only I can be the source of that I wouldn't believe if anyone else told me until I believed it. And so I, I shifted those words to being, may I be strong and confident? May I be capable? May I be happy? May I be fulfilled? May I be healthy? May I be abundant? And the other thing that I decided to bring into that um, morning meditation practice was I did a heart opener every day and this started for me i was on a retreat at my most favorite place on earth which is a retreat center in big sur california it's it's magical it's on the coast with natural hot springs built into the cliffside overlooking the ocean i mean it's, it's like pure magic and there's a statue in the garden that faces the ocean that's a very nondescript statue of a person doing a heart opening and when I first saw it, I'm like, what's that? And I went and I stood next to it. And I actually have a picture someone took of me doing this heart opening position facing the ocean. And the first time I did this heart opening where my arms were stretched out and my chest kind of up towards the sky, I burst into tears because I realized how much of my life I had gone through closed off and keeping myself held in. And so these were the ways that I developed my meditation practice was as I would do a heart opening every day, the mantra that I have will go along with it is may I be open to all the gifts the universe has to offer all the experiences, opportunities, and people who come into my life to help me put me on the path that I'm supposed to be on. I love so that I you still heart opener. everything that you said. You want me to say that again? <laughs> I, I just, I love that you remember it. Oh all. yeah. You're so connected to I, it. I say it every day. Still to this day, I start my morning and I go right into my loving kindness practice. And then I go into a breathing practice. And um, my favorite mantra for breathing is I breathe in all that nourishes and heals me. And I breathe out all that is spent. So I've really developed to find the way to bring meditation into my life in a way that works for me. Mm -hmm. that I am deeply connected with that grounds me and centers me that I can do in the morning. So I can be like, okay, I'm good. I set my intentions for the day. I've got myself grounded and centered. In fact, I do all this, the heart opening, the loving kindness, the breathing. As soon as my feet hit the floor, getting out of my bed, 
and I ground myself literally as soon as I wake up. And it's short. It's like 30 seconds. But you know what? That's my meditation. And it's gotten all the aspects of getting myself and my breath aligned, opening my heart, offering myself that loving kindness and breathing. And I know I can go back to it at any point throughout the day if I'm kind of missed my mark or missed my intention or I need to recenter or reground. So I never really did guided meditations, although now that I teach it, I teach it guided because I find it helpful because our minds just wander so much. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I find that people come to meditation not really knowing what to expect from it. And they expect a lot to happen that's not really going to ever happen. Some people, some people can, you know, if they're, if you're visual, can have all of the magical visions and you can go places and talk to people and be in all those experiences. That does absolutely happen for some people, but then for yes. some of us, it's just color. For some people, it's a, it's a feeling. For some people, it's like, it's so different for every individual. Yeah. And I think some people come to meditation practice, at least so many people that have come into my office or into my work thinking I I need to have a clear mind. I need to feel peaceful. (laughs) And it's like, "Mm, you realize that's never really going to happen. So let's just let go of that right now. And then we'll be able to move on. (laughs) Exactly. Your mind is never going to stop. So it's not about stopping the thoughts about how do we interrupt our reaction to them? Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. I have a question for you because it's something that you say a lot and I, I want to know. Yes. When did you start putting the word value? That was my value then. This is my value now. This is like this word value holds. Yeah, it keeps coming up. Huh? Yeah, a big, a big container for you. When did this become a thing? When did this happen? Um, probably around the same time, although I probably haven't started using the word in connection with it. Actually, that's not true. I would say around the time, maybe about a year or so before I got divorced, was I was getting towards the end of my licensure to become a therapist. And I was at the time teaching mindfulness classes and I was doing some speaking engagements. And I really realized the value of authenticity because I was really afraid of being on a stage somewhere And somebody standing up in the audience and pointing their finger at me and saying, yeah, but you're not living that. And so getting my life in alignment with the work I was guiding others and doing became such a high value to me. So I think that was the point when I really tapped into the value piece, because if I'm asking people to entrust in me, in taking them on a journey of getting unstuck. And if I hadn't done the own work that I'm asking them to do, then I am completely out of the value of authenticity and out of integrity of what I'm teaching. So the integrity of wanting to stand within alignment just became of utmost highest priority to me. So, because you did use it in like uh, when you're like in when you were marrying your ex, you're like, what was my value then? Like you, it's like you can see everything yeah. as a value now. Like where am I putting my value systems in? Yeah, this? and I don't think I was as conscious of it at the time in that languaging, but uh-huh. now it's really, really clear. And you know, it's something that I teach a lot with my clients because if we really look at the areas in which we're stuck or having conflict in our life, if you think about you know, someone in your family that you really struggle with, 
or an area in your life that there's a lack of flow happening, like whatever it is, I really believe if you can really peel back the layers of reactivity or the surface level stuff that's getting in the way, underneath the, the challenge or the conflict or where you're stuck is there's some value of yours that's in violation. Hmm. And to be able to see it as that helps us give us new information on how to respond to it. My next so it, it can come up almost in anything as a value violation. And I agree with this wholeheartedly because that's the only, that's the agitation, that's the tension, that's the discomfort. Um, but I'm getting guided to ask you something kind of in a whole other spectrum right now. Yes. Because somebody is listening who wants to know this and it is, so your marriage ends. Yes. Now you know that you have a growth mindset and you know that you're looking for somebody to match frequency wise, vibration wise to what it is. Did you like, what was that? Oh, that was, that, that was amazing. Oh yeah. Oh no, I absolutely did. So I, I was kind of flailing for a while and I say flailing in a really, um, fun way because I was dating for the first time, but I, I wasn't grasping onto anything very connected, but I was enjoying the process until I realized this is no longer fun because it was a lot of that surface level living that I was frustrated with. And I, I saw a quote by Rumi, the old poet, ancient poet. And this quote changed everything. So much so that I still, all these years later, have it on the screensaver of my phone. I, I painted a mug, like one of those ceramics painting plays with yeah. my daughters. <laughs> I have this quote on there. So the quote is, what you seek is seeking you. And in seeing that quote, everything shifted for me. Because I realized I was no longer on like this desperate search to find a partner, but that someone was looking exactly for who I was. And that gave me so much comfort. So what I did was, um, it was the Sunday of Thanksgiving weekend. So it was the end of November, 2015. And I had decided to go off all dating apps and all of them. I, all of them. I went completely off. Okay. And you've been, how like, long have you been single at this point? Um, about a year and a half. Yeah. And I decided to write a letter titled Dear Future Partner. And at the top of the piece of paper, I wrote what you seek is seeking you. And I wrote out all the areas I was grateful for in my life. It started off as a letter of gratitude of where I was full, where I was complete, where I was whole. And then I said where I still have room. And then I got really specific of what qualities I was looking for in a partner. And I'm talking like specific. And I wrote it all down and I wrote some, you know, kind of very um, spiritual languaging of like, on oh, no one, our souls will meet. It'll be right. You know, whatever it is. Um, and then I just, I released it. I didn't dwell on it. I meditated on it and I filed it away in my file cabinet and I felt really good about this intention I had set. So about 10 days later, I re-download Tinder and I told myself I'm not there to look. And I was only there to go 
see if there was anyone I was talking to online that I wanted to continue the conversation offline. Cause I just kind of immediately and abruptly shut down the dating app. So I told myself, I'm not there to look, I'm not going to do any swiping, like none of this searching business. And as I re-download the website or the app, the very first profile that's looking at me was John. And what caught my attention were his beautiful blue eyes and his tagline, which was that he was a PhD in educational psychology and he was a consultant on the Pixar movie Inside Out because he's an expert in emotions. And I'm like, oh my God, that is so hot. (laughs) (laughs) And he's someone who I likely would have continued to swipe past earlier on because he was 10 years older than me. So that was a little bit older than maybe I was looking for at the time. And he was bald and I never thought I would be attracted to a bald guy, like just something I never had interaction with. Um, But I swiped right on him and it was a match and he was texting me within about an hour. And he actually asked me out for drinks that night and I couldn't go because I had my girls. And so we met for lunch the next day. But the night before, after I, I, I chatted with him for a bit, I was going to bed reading a psychology magazine. And the article was on couples therapy. I told you, I've always been fascinated by couples work, right? So the article highlighted two different couples therapists, one of which I did training with, which is John Gottman. And the other is someone I had never heard of before named Susan Johnson. And I'm like, oh, that's really interesting. I was reading all about them or about her work. The next day I meet John for lunch. I walk into the restaurant and he's reading the Susan Johnson book from the article I was reading the night before. And I'm like, thank you universe. (laughs) And it was, I mean, like you couldn't have staged it more perfect than that. And that first lunch was this incredible, like, it was like this volleyball match of like back and forth, back and forth of all the professional things we had in common. And I, we never even got to like have a personal conversation because we just had so much professionally in common. And we ended up meeting for coffee the next morning. And we've been together almost four years, love of my life. That's so beautiful. Now I want to ask what were the specific things? Like you was like you were like I was so specific. I was really specific. Um I wanted somebody who was mindful. I wanted a man who was aware, who was emotionally aware, who was able to communicate. I specifically wrote laughter because I realized that was lacking in my life. Um, I needed physical attraction, great sexual chemistry, someone who had a desire for adventure and travel, um, someone who was into mindfulness and meditation, someone who was growth oriented. I mean, like you didn't, I, I, I listed it out. And would you say that John represents all of that? Yeah. And in fact, a couple months after we met, it was on Valentine's day. And um, actually, it was a little bit a couple days after Valentine's Day, because I was on a retreat in Costa Rica over Valentine's Day. But when I got back, we went for dinner, and I brought the letter with me. And I showed him, and I'm like, all right, check it out. Like, you literally, like, check, 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 check. Yeah. And it's, it's been phenomenal. And, you know, that being said, it's been a relationship full of a lot of growth. 
And there have been times where that meant that hasn't always been easy. Like we've had real struggle, we've had real challenge. But when I say growth minded, it's to be able to look at the challenge and ask ourselves, okay, how can we grow from this? Mm-hmm. How do we not stay stuck in building resentment or holding on to anger, but how can we see this as a growth opportunity? And even while it might take us a little bit of time to get there, we're always holding that space that we're going to get through this and be better for it. Right. And I think that's important because I I know the romantic part of the story, but a relationship actually is, you know, it takes work and, and, and commitment it's, it's huge. And, you know, as I told you, we're building this whole brand of the ultimate relationship. And I just got the outline of our new website, which is going to be the ultimate relationship.com. And, you know, one of our big taglines is love isn't enough. Mm-hmm. Love isn't enough. And, you know, you can love someone and it's still not work out. You can love someone and have no intimacy. You can love someone and not be able to be vulnerable. You can love someone and not how, know how to communicate and argue effectively. You know, you can love someone and not like them. Hmm. And, you know, so it's not about love. Love isn't enough. It takes a lot of work. And, you know, it's the constant bids for attention, right? How we honor each other's bids of even the little things of if I walk and we don't even, we don't live together yet, but there's times, you know, he stays over. And if I come downstairs and he's sitting with his cup of coffee, doing his social media posts for the day, and I walk in the kitchen and if he doesn't look up from the phone, that feels, and as as I say, good morning, that feels like a non-acknowledged bid for attention, right? We all do this, right? Do we look up or do we just say, oh, hi, good morning without looking up? So all these little things are powerful to how we contribute toward the relationship and then how to have the ability and be vulnerable to say, hey, babe, this morning that was a little bit hurtful when I walked downstairs and you didn't look up. And many people will just get defensive. Oh, but I was in the middle of doing something and oh, I was just about to be, it's like, great, that's a defense. And Yes, you're right. I'm sorry. That was hurtful. I'll try better tomorrow. Yeah. What a it's powerful. these little things that are so subtle and so powerful. And, you know, uh, can, I have to share, uh, I think people will love hearing this story because I, the power of language is so powerful. We talked about this um, before. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, there's this example of communication in which when we're asking for something, whether you ask for it from an invitation a request or a demand. And we oftentimes ask the wrong question. And I think people get hurt by the answers they get without realizing they're asking the wrong question. So a couple months ago, I was invited to a bat mitzvah and I'm Jewish, John isn't. And I really wanted to go and I wanted him to come with me. And it was really important to me he was there for a variety of reasons. One, I've known the family for a super long time. I've known the mom since high school. Another reason was my ex-husband was going to be there with the woman he's dating. And the guy I dated after my divorce was also going to be there with his new fiance. Small community I live in. So having show, me showing up without my partner was going to be hurtful. And I really wanted to make sure he was there. So I said, do you want to come with me? 
And he said, no. And I'm like, oh, and I was really hurt. Well, he knows this whole invitation request demand thing. So a couple of days later, I said to him, I said, you know, because the difference is an invitation is a yes, no question. A request is asking your partner to do something based on your value set. A demand is when you just tell them to do something. Mm -hmm. So I came back around and I said, you know, I asked if you wanted to come and I realized I asked you the wrong question. And I said, it's actually really important for me to have you there because of X, Y, and Z. He goes, this is a request, isn't it? I said, yeah. And by reframing the question, he said, of course, I'll be there. Mm. So the power of language is, is really, really powerful. I, I agree. Uh, you know, I feel like you and I could talk for hours. <laughs> I know. I totally, I totally, even on your podcast too, it was like, we just kept the conversation going and going. But if somebody wants to continue conversation with you, yes, story, with and, me, yes. The and the best know. way. Yeah. Thank you. Is joryrose.com. J O R E E R O S E.com. Um, everything you'll find resources there for my retreats. I've got a women's retreat coming up in May at the amazing Marivel resort in Tucson. And that's journey forward to radical acceptance, which I'm really looking forward to. Um, the other retreat is John and I are leading the ultimate relationship workshop in Costa Rica in September of 2020. So all that will be up there as well as my podcast journey forward with Jory Rose. And, um, soon in 2020 is when I'm launching my online courses and subscriptions for my meditation site and everything else that's going to be an interactive subscription of how to get weekly uh, tools and workshops with me. I love that. And I have one last question for you before we end today, because it's super important for me and for my listeners, because I ask everybody. So they're just waiting. Yes. Faded breath to know, and you can only choose one. What book would you recommend that was transformational in your journey or that you can tap in and feel like it would be transformational in theirs? My number one top book, The Laws of Spirit by Dan Millman. God, I love asking this question. I learned so many different books. Why is this your book? Um, that's going to have to be a whole another podcast episode. You'll have to have me back. I guess I'm going to so. keep that a teaser because that is an amazing story. Um, but the Laws of Spirit by Dan Millman is bite-sized nuggets of wisdom that apply to every universal truth you'll need to know. Perfect. We'll just have to have you back then so we can get deeper and deeper into this journey. Yes, I would love that. No, thank you so much for sharing your story and your light and your mission and all of this. And it's not just... Thank you so much for having me. I really, really enjoy connecting with you. So really, thank you. It's, it's a pleasure for me. So much joy. And everybody, thank you for listening. And we'll be tuning in next week with another magical human.